0: You know, when I first got into ministry, I often dreamed about days kind of like this where you'd have wonderful music and good people and be able to open God's Word and challenge our own hearts and challenge each other. It's a blessing to be involved in ministry and the ministry of God's Word, and I just want to thank you this morning for coming and being willing to submit yourself to long preaching and... uh, You know, I have one shot a week, right? Sunday morning, usually. God has blessed our church. Our seats are filling up and full. Thank the Lord for His goodness and His mercy. God brings people into our life. And He changes us and lets us share our life with other people. And that is such a privilege. Don't don't ever squander or waste that. By the way, thank you, George, for putting in a little plug. You know, we have been going through the book of Revelation... And if you didn't get to join us last semester, tonight is like a review. We're going to go through chapters 1 through 11 in a summary form for just a few minutes to catch everybody back up. And just to kind of let you know, you know, we're addressing current day issues. Do you know what's going on? Uh, This past week, there was a meeting uh, between Canada, the United States, and Mexico to join these three countries together and make them borderless. And to call it the NAC, you can read this on the WhiteHouse.gov. I'm not making this up. And so the idea is, is that nations no longer can handle problems by themselves. It has to be global. And so Europe has kind of spurned this. The United States is getting in line with Canada. And by the way, don't let this surprise you, folks. God talk, told us about this in the Book of Daniel years ago that during the end times that the nations of the world would form together in a ten-nation confederacy. And those ten nations would be searching for one global ruler, and they are using three prongs to do that. One is climate. Climate is a global problem, and therefore it takes a global answer. So that's why you hear so much about climate. The second is currency. It's not fair to have one currency evaluating the whole world and making them line up with it, so do away with that and have one. And then they're using health, and since health spreads and it's such a, a, a geographic problem, then it has to be addressed in a geographic way. So how do all those things tie together? Well, I don't have time to go into that this morning, but this is some of the stuff we integrate in with the book of Revelation as we go back and pick up What God says back in the Old Testament was going to happen, and we open our eyes today, and lo and behold, guess what's happening? Right in front of our nose. And it's not like it started yesterday. This has been going on for years and years. But we are slowly but surely lining up right in God's progression. But do not fear, believer, in Jesus. Our Lord reigns. And it's not like the whole thing's a mess. You know, people say, the world's falling apart. No, it's falling into place. And God's going to come back. So lift up your drooping heads. And stop letting your knees quiver and shake. Jesus is near. And that's what we look for. Amen? Amen. Now, that's sermon number one. (laughs) Uh, Sermon number two is going to come in because now, you know, Sometimes we pray, and by the way, the pastor's greatest struggle is, Lord, when, you, when something comes in and you think you should speak on it, but it interrupts your series in some way, what do you do about it? You can blame this on an older person in our congregation because I went and visited with them this week, and they asked me a question as I was explaining my, my angst about what to share, and this is what that older person said. Who led your mind to think that? And I said, well, I guess God. Well, then you probably should speak on it. Okay, so I'm going to, because the Holy Spirit doesn't send me emails. If he does to you, I want to read them, but uh, that was about as close as I heard this week. So I want to share something with you that no one ever shared with me that I remember, and that is, after you trust Jesus as your Savior for eternal life, In other words, you recognize that you are a sinner and you are under the wrath of God and your sin has to be paid for and God will make sure that your sin is paid for. But you look to Jesus, the one who came to earth, God in flesh, who died on a cross to pay the full penalty for our sin and by faith you trust that his death, burial, and resurrection paid the penalty for your sin. And you believe that message and you accept Him as your Savior, after that happens and you become a child of God, what do you do with your life? Now, what I didn't understand was once I was born again, born into God's family, once I had eternal life in Jesus, that my life began an evaluation process. In other words, from the moment I trusted Christ as my Savior, several things happened in my life. Christian mentioned one. I was given eternal life. I was given Christ's righteousness. And I was also given a spiritual gift. At least one. Some of us have multiple, but many of us just have one. And that spiritual gift was given to me by God and given to you if you know Christ as Savior. And God entrusts us with that spiritual gift to live it out in our life, whether it's used in our workplace, in our home, in our local church. We are to use that gift that God gives us because one day we will be evaluated on what we do with that spiritual gift and also how we live our life. Now, if we do well, if we live our life well as a believer... God says in His Word that we will rule and we will reign with Him. To some, He gives a small gift. If we use that gift well, when Jesus comes back and establishes His kingdom upon this earth, He will give some ten cities to rule over. I'm not making this up. You can read Luke 19. To some, they may get more. But to some that He gives to and they squander their whole life or they waste their Christian life... He will take from the one who has and give it to someone else. So the point of my message today is we need to learn a lesson from Esau. I preached on Esau and Jacob last week. The the New Testament writer in Hebrews mentions Esau as a warning to believers. Don't do what Esau did with your Christian life. Don't squander your inheritance. So I ask you this morning, what are you doing with your Christian life? How are you investing it? What are you doing with it? And how could you do that in a much better way? Do you know that I looked at an inheritance blog this week from an attorney, and this is what they said. In a study of wealthy families... The Williams Group Wealth Consultancy found that in 70% of well-to-do families, when they pass their inheritance, they lose it by the second generation. In other words, if you give a large sum of money to someone in your family, there is a 70% chance they're going to squander it on wasteful living because people do not know what to do with massive amounts of money. Some don't even know what to do with small amounts of money. And as I began to think about that, and this is so true, all you have to do is look around in life and see how people squander money. Think about how we squander or we could squander our Christian life after we come to know Christ as Savior. You know, some in the Christian life face a trial. And when that trial hits that Christian they don't know what to do with it because they have a misunderstanding of the Christian life. Somehow or another, when we trust Jesus for eternal life, we think that life is nothing but a smooth highway. And when God sends something in our life and it just shakes us to the core, it could be one of many different things, we get angry at God. We don't like how God runs His world or how God runs our life. And we get mad and we start pouting. And we pout to God. We, we pout to others. And we spend our whole life being angry at God about a circumstance or something that happened and it completely derails us from service and faithfulness in our Christian life. Others of us, I'm, talking, I'm preaching to the choir. I've had to do that all week and it's very painful. Others of us, may come under the disciplinary hand of God for something. And by the way, when God disciplines us, when he chastens us for wrongdoing, that should make us feel loved. Now many times we don't, we think, oh God, how could you do that? I mean, I'm getting ready to put my hand on a hot stove. How dare you smack me to keep me from putting my hand on there and getting burnt? You ever seen a child do that? One of our kids, by the way, went to reach for a stove one time. The eye was hot where Karen was cooking something, and they were putting their hand up the stove, and I went, whack, just as hard as I could. They pulled her hand, you me and I was like, Do you not understand? I just saved you from third degree burns. And the kids were like, oh. But I did it because I loved them. Now they got over it, but we don't sometimes. We pout to God, we fuss at God, we tell God how upset we are that it didn't go our way, and we go on. And we live our whole life angry, questioning God, angry at life, being being dealt, dealt the wrong deck of cards. Life's not a card game. It's not a card game. And we end up squandering our life. So, the message this morning is to warn us not to do that. Now listen to the text and listen closely. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. This is my springboard. I'm going to go back and pick up the context in a minute, but I want you to get this if you don't get anything else, and that's God's Word. The writer says, See to it that no one is sexually immoral. Okay, I'll touch on that in a minute. In other words, God has a certain plan for our life. Don't live in immorality because if we do, we're going to pay the consequence. Or, he says, or unholy like Esau. Now, the word unholy has the idea of being complacent or careless. And we saw last week that was Esau's greatest problem. You know, the Old Testament doesn't say Esau was, was immoral. I don't think the writer of Hebrews is saying he was immoral. Yes, he had three wives, I know that. It was permitted back in that day. Not not condoned, but permitted. But in this sense, he was careless. Esau was careless because he sold his birthright for a single meal. Now, Christian, hear me for a moment. We can make fun of Esau. We can point our finger at him and talk about him. But sometimes Christians do worse. We sell our Christian testimony for less than a meal. We might sell it for somebody's opinion of us. We might sell it so that we fit into a certain group. We might sell it so that we have fun and do what everybody else is doing. We can sell our own birthright, our inheritance, if you will, squander it on careless, thoughtless decisions. And my admonition to you this morning, as I've been preaching to myself, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. When we sense that in our life, may the radar antennas go up and say, whoa, put on the brakes, time to stop. Time to evaluate life. Time to make a wise decision here. Because this decision could cost me greatly. What do I do? Okay? we got to stop and think. Esau, he didn't think. What did he say? I'm hungry. I want something to eat. I don't care if it costs me my birthright. I want my lunch. And he gave it up. Verse 17. Notice what the writer says. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing... What happened? He was rejected. For he found no chance to change his mind, though he sought it with tears. Now, stop for a moment because I need to talk about this. Some people say, well, he, he found no chance to repent. Repent. Now, does that mean that he found no chance to get saved? Please say no. That is not what this writer was talking about at all. What he was saying was, you know, that Esau made a decision in his life, and that decision was so consequential that he was willing to give up his birthright for a bowl of soup, to to care no more about his spiritual life or his relationship with his family or his place in God's line that he would just give it up for a bowl of soup. When he made that decision, it was over. And he could not go back and undo it. I know people, and I'll talk about this in a moment, but I know people who have had an affair with someone. They could not resist their flesh, and they went to bed with someone. And you can never undo it. And it carried with them their whole life. I know people that have made decisions to steal or to extort or to do something they should not have done. And instead of being wise, they gave into the power of the flesh or the lust of money. And listen to me, folks. It cost them dearly. And you know, some decisions have much more severe consequences than others. And we have to be aware of that in life because that's how life works. And so we have to be wise. And I'm telling you this morning, please hear me in all humility. I am preaching to the choir. You know, some messages are hard for a pastor to preach because he has to preach them to himself all week. And I am right down there in the seat with you, listening to me, evaluating my life, thinking about my life and dumb things that I have done or dumb things that come in my life. I'm right there with you. We're here together. You hear me? It's not one man preaching to many. It's one man among many. We're all in this struggle of life together. And I'm right there beside you. But like Esau, I don't want to be like Esau. Do you? I don't want to do something and make a terrible decision and realize that I really messed up. Now, by the way, there is forgiveness. Can I give you some hope here just a second about Esau? In a few chapters back in Genesis, we're going to get to the place where you're going to see God change Esau's heart. God's going to change his heart. He's going to take the hate away from his brother. He's going to bless him with prosperity. He's going to give him lands. He's going to give him a land that God is going to promise to him. Esau was a changed man when Jacob met him the next time. So, please don't walk out of here saying that Esau's an unbeliever splitting the gates of hell wide open because he had no chance to repent. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying he made a decision out of carelessness in his life and it cost him dearly. Learn from that, Christian. That's what he's saying. Now, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 and get the context. I put it on the screen for you. Let me read it, and you stay with me, okay? But before we do that, let me pray. So, Father, thank you for leading to this passage today about Esau and the writer's admonition to this church. And maybe in our church, I don't know why you lead to do certain things, but maybe in our church, people are in a situation to where they... Have a choice or a decision that could have eternal consequences. You know the hearts of every person, whether in this auditorium, whether they watch online today or even later, that perhaps someone is about to make a decision or will be faced with a decision that will have a serious consequence. Give us wisdom. Your children, give us wisdom to listen to our Father who loves us and to do what's right, so that we may not squander what you have for us, even past this life, and give us eyes of faith to see that. We do pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The writer to Hebrews is writing to Christians, by the way. I know if you have a MacArthur Study Bible and you read MacArthur's notes on the warning passages, there's five of them in the book of Hebrews. They will say these are professing believers, but not real, because they struggle with sin. Do you struggle with sin, by the way? Does does that mean you're not a real believer? These writers, these Hebrew readers, were faced with this incredible dilemma. Jesus had died, He had rose again, He was crucified, but He ascended into heaven and He wasn't present with them. But there was a Jewish system that had been going on for years that they said would atone for sin. And some of these Jewish Christians, after they had trusted Jesus as, as Savior, the Messiah they were tempted to go back into the system of Judaism, and this writer was preaching to them. And I mean, this is a preaching book, by the way, and you have to remember Hebrews is 13 chapters, and it was one long sermon, so don't complain about me. Thirteen! And in this section, there are special little phrases, let us, let us, my brethren, let us, let us. He is preaching, but in his preaching, he is warning And in some of these warning sections, he is putting consequences out to people, saying, if you make certain decisions in your life, and you do them, you cannot undo them. Esau is a perfect example. So if you want to go back in chapter 6 and read that, that there's no chance for repentance, then you better include this passage too. Just like Esau made a decision about his birthright, there are decisions in our life that we have to make that have consequences. Now, The writer of Hebrews gave the chapter 11, he lists all kinds of people that took a stand for God and by faith they said, even though we don't see it in this life, we have eyes beyond this life that God is going to be faithful and do what he says. Do you believe that as a Christian this morning? Do you believe that God is not going to let all of your dreams come true in this life? I mean, if we as Christians think that all of our dreams are going to come true in this life, we don't understand God's Word. Because we're not laying up our treasures in Christiansburg, or on Claytor Lake, or Smith Mountain Lake, or anywhere else on this world. We lay up our treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupts. We live our life down here with the values that God says, even if we're done wrong because we know that there's a better world awaiting us when King Jesus comes back, and we will be rewarded. Okay, that's, that is the godly Christian perspective. We don't even expect this life to fulfill our dreams, our passions, or our longings. You say, well, you are a pessimist. No, I'm not. I'm a biblicist. In this world, you will have tribulation. You live for Jesus, you're going to struggle, probably not be promoted. I'm sorry I would make a terrible prosperity gospel, man. (laughs) I mean, you live for Jesus, it's going to cost you. God's going to burden your heart. You're not going to focus on hoarding up riches. You're going to focus on helping people. You're going to focus on other people. You're going to think about others more highly than yourself. Doesn't mean God's not going to bless you, but He's going to burden you. And you're going to have to do something with that burden. What are you going to do with it? Now, these these readers were in this dilemma. Do we go with Jesus and suffer? Or do we go the other way and ride the flow? Just go the way the world does. So he says this, Therefore, since back in chapter 11, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all those people lived for God and never saw it fulfilled, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses back in the Old Testament. They're not up in heaven watching us right now. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we're looking at their life. They were faithful. Therefore, since they were faithful and we can see their faithfulness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely... And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I mean, we have a race in this Christian life, in 2023, in this culture, in this land where God put us. We have a race. And your race is not my race. And your race is not your neighbor's race. Your race is the race God gave you. Your life circumstance is the life circumstance God gave you. Don't look to your neighbor. Look to Jesus. That's exactly what he says. Let us run the race that was set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him... Stop. I can't help it every time I read that. What? What? He came to this earth and the joy that was set before Him. The man of sorrows acquainted with grief. The one who was despised and rejected upon, among men. The one who was marred in such a way that no man can know Him. The one who was lied about. The one who was misunderstood. The one who was blasphemed. Called an illegitimate child made fun of. For the joy That was set before him. Life was hard for Jesus, by the way. Please don't think he came in on a velvet pillow. This author to the Hebrews says when you start having a pity party for yourself, look to him. Look to him. For the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. Father, not my will, but yours be done. And what was God's will? To crucify Him for our sin. Looking unto Him for the joy that was set before Him before He endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him. Consider Him. Who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted? So, the next time we grow weary because of life circumstances, what does this writer tell us to do? Stop looking at yourself, stop looking at your neighbor, stop looking at other Christians, look to Jesus. Now, notice what he tells these Hebrew believers. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Do we think that applies to us this morning? I mean, come on. Now, we've had some struggles, but none of us have been strapped to a cross that I know of. If so, you tell me, because I want to hear your story. But we haven't suffered so much for God that we've been put on a cross. Resisted to the point of our blood. And by the way, have we ever thought that our hardships in life could be for our good? Now, I, I told you that I would ne- make a terrible prosperity gospel preacher. Now, what is the prosperity gospel? It means when you believe, all blessings come if you have enough faith. You can be rich, you can have health. Wealth, prosperity, if you just have enough faith to believe it will happen. Well, according to the writer of Hebrews, what does he say? That sometimes God brings discipline in our life to cause suffering. Sometimes God appoints for His children to suffer. Now, if you don't believe me, go back and read the Old Testament. Job was appointed to suffer so that God could have glory out of his life. Job didn't understand that, and we would never understand it either had God not give us His perspective. But suffering is sometimes part and parcel with the Christian life. And so the writer of Hebrews says, When you suffer, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Back in Proverbs, My son, do not not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastens every son He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Karen and I were in a restaurant a while back and there was a kid across the table. And that kid was over there just throwing a fit. And I thought to myself, you know, by the way, I'm, I'm sorry if you all know that I think this way, but I'm thinking... What is that mother and father doing? That kid's throwing food all over the floor and running the house, telling mom and dad what to do. Drag jerk that kid up and take him outside to the car. And I don't care what you do, but let them know that they're not going to pinch mom and dad and throw food all over them. When please don't do that, honey. Mm. You know, I mean, and and here was my thought: Should I go over there and help them? I could give them three lessons on child rearing and how to stop that uh, but but here's the problem. You want to know what the problem was? Here it is. That was not my child. That was not my child, nor was that my business. I mean, that parent has to deal with their child, but my business is my child. You're God's child if you know Jesus. And your father will deal with you as the father feels necessary. And you know, sometimes parents can deal with children in different ways depending on how they act. And that's not unfair. Because sometimes parents know best what to do. You know, there were some children that we had that you could, you could literally spank to death and it never got through their mind you had to figure out another way that would hurt worse than a spanking but you know there were other children that we had that all we had to do was show our disappointment and that child would crumble and don't expect any other parent to come in and handle our children like that because they don't know them we do and we handle our children differently And I'm sure people could judge, but nevertheless, at the end of the day, we know them. Nobody else did. God knows you. And He will handle you how He feels like He needs to. And He'll do it because He loves you. So when we feel the chastening or the discipline or the trials of life that come our way, that God allows to come, stop fighting Him. And start talking to Him. What are you trying to teach me from this Lord? What are you trying to teach me? You know, sometimes God teaches us by leading other people into our life. I know there have been times that I have talked to people and I'm thinking, that's the most stubborn person I've ever seen in my life. And God says, why do you think I'll let you talk to them? You're just as stubborn as they are. You ever been? You ever heard that message from God? Or, Lord, I don't know why this person won't do that. You don't? Well, why won't you do this? Notice what the writer says. If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. I mean, if you can live your life and do what you want, God never brings trials or struggles or pain or problems in, huh? Bear better check who your father is. That almost sounds like the enemy. Nevertheless, he says, besides this, we've had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we've respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? I mean, we listen to our earthly parents when they chasten us. We should listen to our heavenly father. For they discipline us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. Why? You all look closely that we may share His holiness. Why does God allow trials and discipline into our life to make us more like Him? You see, God's doing a work in our life and He's conforming us into the image of Jesus and He's going to do it one way or the other. He'll do it in this life. Or he'll he'll do it in the next life. But we're going to be like Jesus. Those of us who know him. Notice what he says. For the moment, and boy, can't you say amen for this? This recalls all kinds of discipline. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Ooh. Rather than pleasant. Discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. There was an apple tree out in our yard. I have to tell you all this story. I did something bad. My dad told me to go get a switch. There was an old apple tree out there. If you've ever been whipped by an apple tree limb, it has the most knots on it you've ever seen. The only thing that hurts worse than an apple tree is a willow because it's got all that spring in it. But an apple tree is about as bad as it gets. So my dad said, go pick your switch. I was young and crafty and thought I had it all figured out, so I went out and got a dead limb off the tree. The problem was it was about that big around. And I carried that back into my dad thinking he's going to go, I'm not going to hit you with that thing, you know. How dare you? He pulled that. He said, Mm, okay, turn around. <laughs> I was like, I'll never do that again. But you know what? Every. Every disciplinary action my mother and father gave me, they should have multiplied it by 20. Maybe a hundred. And I'm thankful. They love me enough to discipline me. However, notice what he says. They do it for a reason. After this unpleasant and, un- and painful experience, later it yields the peaceful root of fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When we understand the purpose of discipline, then we can accept the result. It's for a reason. Now notice what he says. Therefore, Christian, lift your drooping hands. Remember, we're running a race. Can you run a race like this? Where's Brittany? Brittany ran a marathon. Brittany, can you run a race like this? Therefore... Lift your drooping hands, Christian. Strengthen your weakened knees. I mean, get some muscle. And make straight paths for your feet. You know, if I'm running from here to the Waffle House, and instead of just running in a straight path of the Waffle I decide to go to Walmart and run around the mall... And halfway around the Huckleberry Trail and back downtown to the courthouse. How long is it going to take me to get there? Where am I going? Christians, we do that all the time, don't we? We're heading on the path of life and we go down this road and that road and back on this holler and down in a mud hole. Back up a side of a hill and back down in a valley. Make straight paths for our feet. Lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet in this race of life so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. Remember what comes from discipline? God-likeness, Christ-likeness. Strive for that holiness, listen carefully, without which no one will see the Lord. This writer seems to think, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that unless there's holiness in our life, we won't see the Lord. Now that doesn't mean we're not saved. I'll let you ponder that one for a while. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. I'm coming back to that one. A root of bitterness. Some of us go through trials and problems in life, and bitterness is the result springs up and doesn't just defile us, but defiles everybody we're around. See to it that doesn't happen. And by it, many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now, what are some warnings that this writer gives us so that we do not lose our inheritance in the coming kingdom. What are some of the warnings? These are, these are his warnings. There's all kinds in the New Testament. I did not have time to go into that. But this is what we're learning from this chapter and this section about Esau forfeiting his right, and we can do the same. First of all, when we push off God's grace in our life to handle problems and do it on our own, that's a warning. Okay? Verse 15, what does this writer say? And you have to read it closely here, because if you don't really dig into this, you'll miss it because it sounds like salvation. That is not what he's talking about. He says here in verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, back in chapter 4, what did he say? We have a high priest that can he can be touched. Because He knows how we feel. And if we pray to Him, He knows our life. He gives us the grace to get through life. But a warning number one is, when we decide that we're going to go through this life and fix it and do it our way and not depend upon God's grace to get us through, we're in trouble. That's a warning. We need His grace. Number two, allowing a root of bitterness to take hold of our life. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Now, what is a root? A root is something that's buried. You know, it has to be planted. A root does. I read a story about a woman talking about bitterness. She was an older lady. She went and bought a brand new car. She went to pull into a parking space and some young whippersnapper came in and she was getting ready to back in. You know how when you get older, your neck gets stiff? She, she was trying to get her neck turned. She couldn't see up in the mirror, but it had all these new gadgets on it. So she decided she was going to use that rear view mirror and pull it in. Well, he just shot right in there from her. Boy, that woman got mad. She got out of the car and she said, what do you think you're doing taking my spot there? Can't you see I was backing into it? He said, old lady. He said, I'm young and fast. He got out of his car. That lady proceeded to put her car in reverse and she crammed the car and went forward. She crammed the car and she went forward. He said, stop woman, what are you doing? She rolled down her window and she said, I'm old and rich. <laughs> she had a root of bitterness, didn't she? Should I tell this other one, Karen? There, there was another story about a root of bitterness and there was this wife, her, her dress wouldn't zip up that day. And the, she asked her husband if he'd come over and zip her dress up. So he went over and got the zipper and started going up and down with it, you know, and got the, got the zipper home. Boy, she got mad. She you messed my dress up. She went to work that day just bawling because he was messing with her zipper. She came home that evening. As she walked up the driveway, she saw her husband's car out in the driveway, and somebody was slid up under that car, and two legs were sticking out working up under the car. So she thought, I can't believe he did that to me. She went over and she grabbed his zipper and she went up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and, and, down and she went back in the house. She walked in the door. There stood her husband drinking a cup of coffee. She said, well, I thought that was you out there in the car. He said, no, that's the neighbor. He decided to come over and help me. You've got to watch what you do with your bitterness, don't you? This writer says, do not allow a root of bitterness. By the way, let me just stop for a moment. Do you know that if you talk to some people, they will allow bitterness to fester in their life for years and years? Usually bitterness grows out of a hurt or some type of anger because someone feels that they were done wrong. And instead of dealing with that, Instead of addressing that issue as a believer should, you know, if a brother has something against you, you go to that brother. That is your responsibility. Don't sit around and wait for it to be had. Don't run from it. Don't think it's going to go away. Deal with it. But if we don't deal with it, it settles in our heart and we begin to go, I can't believe they did that to me. That dirty rascal. I cannot believe I was done wrong. And we let it get down there, and then we put fertilizer on it, don't we? I have a right to be angry and hate that person. I have a right to be... And we boil. And that root begins to grow. And, and we water it with our own self-justification. We listen to other people that tell us that we have a right to be angry and bitter. And you know what ends up happening in our life? Notice what he says. He says, Do not see to it that a root of bitterness has not come that springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. I know marriages that have went south because one spouse had bitterness against somebody else, not even their own spouse, but they were so toxic to live with that you couldn't even live with them. People hurt us and do... do, Things to us that cause problems. And we allow that root to sit down there and just ruin our Christian life. I know Christians today that will not step foot back in a church because another Christian did them wrong. And they they judge Jesus and the entire church by the actions and attitude of one or two believers. I'm telling you folks, there are people home today who know Jesus as Savior, who will not come back into a local church because they were done wrong. And this root of bitterness just sits down there and festers. I want you to hear me. They are squandering their inheritance. What does the book of James chapter 5 tell us to do with somebody like that? If you see someone, a believer living their life, wasting it away as a believer, What we're, we're supposed to go snatch them out of the fire. That doesn't mean the fire of hell. Remember James said that the judge is coming. And faith that's, that has no action doesn't mean it's not saving faith. But I will tell you one thing, it's not rewarding faith. That will be burnt completely up. Read Hebrews chapter 6. Believers who live lives like this, it's like setting a torch on the side of a hill and all the vegetation's burned up. That's what our life's like. And a root of bitterness can do that to us. Notice number four practicing sexual immorality outside God's plan for our lives, which is what? Marriage. Notice what he says. I'm in verse, am I in 15 or 16? Yeah, there it is. 16, that no one is sexually immoral. Now hold your finger right there if you have a Bible. Go over in chapter 13 and look at it. I'm just going to read it to you. I'm in verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now folks, either that's true or that's a lie. We can squander our inheritance by following our crowd in school and college and life. Don't do that as a believer. You will lose your inheritance. Not your salvation. You will lose your inheritance. Notice what he goes on to say in chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. So stop living our life for that. And then number five, the fifth warning, having a careless attitude about our spiritual life and responsibility. You know, you're a child of God. I'm here to tell you this morning, that's the highest calling you can ever have in your life, is to be a child of God. Not the leader of your corporation, not the president of your company, not a senator. You are a child of God, and I want to assure you something, you can't get any higher than that. When we worry about our inheritance, do you not know God's Word says that He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and everything else? The earth and the heavens is the Lord and the work of His hands. And do you know when you become a child of Jesus Christ, God says you are an heir of Christ... An heir of God, excuse me, and a joint heir with Jesus. The order goes like this. God the Father owns it all. Jesus is His heir. And what does Jesus decide to do? Share every bit of that with us. You and I, this this transforms. Talking about money God's way. Here's money God's way. You'll get your inheritance in the next life, not this one. So lay up treasures in heaven by how we live, what we do, how we serve, and don't let the thief come in and steal it. Since I'm on a roll, what are some steps to keep us on track in the race of life? Number one, focus our relationship, on our relationship with Jesus and His strength to endure. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, consider Him. When times get hard, what are we supposed to do? Look to Jesus. Step two, remain faithful in trials and struggles. Don't give up because life gets hard. Dig your heels in and pray for God's grace. And you know what? Share your struggle with another loving believer. They will walk beside you and help you and strengthen you. Don't bear it alone. The enemy wants to isolate you and put you off to yourself. You need to be in the lives of other believers, sharing your heart and your life with them so that they can help strengthen you. We have a community responsibility to each other as God's family. As brothers and sisters in Christ, it is our responsibility to help one another. We are family. We're family. Help others who struggle in the spiritual life. All of those are plural. That means we are to be involved in the lives of each other. And then finally living in a peaceful way with others. Look in verse 14. There's so much preaching material here. I violated every law of homiletics. You know what that is? Homiletics, sermon preparation. You should only have one point. You know why? Because people can only remember one thing. What are y'all going to remember today? Y'all going to remember 25 lessons, 5 principles, 3 steps? I don't know. I don't know what you're going to... But here's the one thing. Don't squander your inheritance. Don't squander your Christian inheritance. If you leave here today and you don't remember that, it's not because I haven't said it over and over. Different ways we can squander it, but don't lose it. Do you know one of the ways we can lose our inheritance is by living a life of just conflict? Conflict. Look at verse 14. I'm here to tell you what God says, not what I say. Strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness, which without no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace. There are, I told you this is a whole sermon. There are some people you, you cannot live in peace with. The only way you can is to put a great big fence and lots of miles between you and them. That's just the way life is, folks. Some people are impossible However, we are to strive to live at peace. And when conflict comes or problems come, we are to forgive them. We are to depend upon God's grace to help us forgive them and deal with it when we have to, but we're to live in peace. Do you realize that living a life of bitterness, conflict, hatred, envy, anger, that will steal your inheritance away? By the way, while I'm here, go back to the book of Galatians real quick. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This is free. This is my interpretation. You, you may not agree with it. That's fine. You don't have to agree with me. There are two, two passages in the New Testament, both written by the Apostle Paul. One in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the other in the book of Galatians. But he talks about losing your inheritance. I'm just quickly here. Galatians chapter 5. It's so good I'm going to have to just read it. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. This is in a Christian's life. That's why you have this conflict. I want to do right, Lord. Oh, oh, oh. I'm tempted to look at that. I want to do right, Lord. Oh, oh. I'm tempted to feel that. The flesh and the spirit war. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But, if you are led by the spirit, you're no longer under the law. You're not under it. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. You ready? Jealousy. Fits of anger. Rivalries, that means conflicts and fighting, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, watch closely. I warn you, Paul's words, I warn you as I warned you before. Who is you? Who's he talking to? Unsaved people out on the street in Galatia? He's writing to the church. I warn you as I warned you before that those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not mean salvation. Please stop thinking that. The kingdom of God is something real that happens upon this earth where Jesus comes and reigns as king and sets up his kingdom. And the earth and the world is ruled by him. And you and I, as his bride, are supposed to have a participation in that. Some will rule over ten cities, some over one. But listen what happens. Some who choose to live a life of this as their Christian life will have no inheritance doesn't say you won't be in the kingdom. You will have no inheritance. Imagine this. You have a parent who wants to give you, as their son, some money. And you go up to your parents with a case of beer every day, drunk as a dog, laying out in the yard, pulling money out of your pocket, throwing it away to everybody around there, giving your car to somebody giving everything you have away, and your parents sitting there watching you as their child. You listening? And they're saying to themselves, this is the most irresponsible child I have ever seen. If I give this child a million dollars, they are going to be ten times worse the drunk, ten times worse the addict, and ten times worse the squanderer. As a matter of fact, this money is going to do nothing in their life except increase their misery. Now, what is that loving parent going to do? They're probably going to find somebody or somewhere else to give that inheritance to. I want to ask you a question. If you would do that, and I would do that, what makes us think God wouldn't do that? So as His children, the admonition and the warning is simply this. You and I need to be aware Consequences and decisions in this life have consequences. Decisions in life have consequences. Every decision has a consequence. There are some decisions which cannot be undone. Be wise about what we choose. And decisions in this life determine roles and responsibilities in the next. How you live in this life will determine what you do in the next And that is from God's Word, not my opinion. So, don't squander your inheritance. But my charge for you today is this. You ready? Don't lose your inheritance, but instead, live with eternity in your mind. Live with eternity in your mind. Don't expect every right or every wrong to be made right in this life. It probably won't. People are going to do you wrong and you're probably going to go to the grave and that will never be reconciled in this life. You have to learn not to let that bitterness eat you alive. Because it will steal your Christian life and it will steal your inheritance from you. Don't let it. Ask for God's grace to help you deal with it. And you know what? When you get down in the dumps, what is the best thing to do? Remember this point. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. He gave his life for others, and he gave it for you too. Do you know him as your Savior today? Do you? I can remember when I was a young boy wandering into a church with a, with a friend. I was a teenager. This boy had to go to church in order to live in his mom and dad's home. He went to a particular church. It was a fighting, fundamentalist church. Thank goodness, I'm glad. They preached the gospel. I heard the message there that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And boy, I would hear that every week I would go. And I would slip right out the back door and go off in that truck and it's a thousand wonders we didn't get killed riding around back roads. And God allowed me to hear that message for week after week after week. Finally, one night, I realized in the upstairs of my mom and dad's house that God was working in my heart and life, letting me know what my eternal destiny was if I didn't do something with Jesus. Jesus. And I can remember as a teenage boy, 17 or 18, I can't tell you, got down out of the bed and got on my knees and asked Jesus to save me from the penalty of my sin. And He did. He did. I didn't get baptized until I was almost 30. Because I just didn't know. But I trusted Him as my Savior. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Him as your personal Savior, I encourage you with everything that is in me, Trust Him as your Savior. You'll never regret it. And if you are a believer and you're here this morning, what am I going to say? Don't squander your inheritance. Can you say that with me? Don't squander your inheritance. Now may we turn that around and say, I will not squander my inheritance. I will not squander my inheritance. I hope you can say that in your heart this morning. And I hope we mean it. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word. And I do pray that you would work in the heart of myself as you have this week and also the heart of other people. This is a heavy message, Father. Life is hard. Problems come. What do we do with that? Help us to look to Jesus. May we not squander our inheritance by thinking we have to have our own rights, our own way. May we allow you to do in our life what you know is best. And may we accept that and be faithful even in hard times and trials. We thank you for it. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We ask this and dedicate every heart here to him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. With your head still bowed and eyes still closed and nobody looking around, I want to ask you a question. How many of you this week could say, please pray for me that I would make wise decisions? I have something coming up that I need help with. I see the hands, 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 hands. And Father, you see every hand and know the hearts of everyone here. Help us to make wise decisions. Because we want to live for eternity, not for the day.